welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay. Well, I'm Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. And um, I know we have people from from uh, various fellowships that have been coming onto the call, and I'm really glad you're all here, and that we get to share in these traditions. Um, actually, the name of my home group is Traditions Group in Billings, Montana. And I really have <clears throat> had these read to me and brought to me ever since I first came through the doors of AA, and I have grown to love them. Uh, I really believe, as Bill said, that these traditions are there to protect the fellowship from folks like me. Um, the first thing that I would like to read is the third tradition out of the big book. And, and right just before that, I'm going to read a portion on page 561. This is fourth edition. Um, it's about the AA tradition. This is I really like this. To those now in its fold, Alcoholics Anonymous has made the difference between misery and sobriety, and often the difference between life and death. AA can, of course, mean just as much to uncounted alcoholics not yet reached. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, no society of men and women ever had a more urgent need for continuous effectiveness and permanent unity. We alcoholics see that we must work together and hang together, else most of us will finally die alone. The 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous are, we AAs believe, the best answers that our experience has yet given to those ever-urgent questions, how can AA best function and how can AA best stay whole and so survive? On the next page, AA's 12 traditions are seen in their so-called short form, the form in general used today. This is a condensed version of the original long form, AA traditions as first printed in 1946. Because the long form is more explicit in the possible historic value, it is also reproduced. Okay, the short form. Uh, tradition three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And the long form, on page 563, is our membership, uh, tradition three, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover, nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that, as a group, they have no other affiliation. And before we move from these two pages, uh, one of the things that I have uh, been experiencing over, experiencing over the last uh, several years is uh, people defining the third tradition in the short form and defining a desire to stop drinking. Uh, several people have come to our doors, and they've even had some uh, some folks that I know aren't alcoholic. They just said they had a desire, a desire to stop drinking. But after we have a discussion, 
Uh, and as far as I can see, the only people who have a desire to stop drinking are alcoholics. Anybody else who doesn't want to drink just doesn't. And uh, that's one of the things I think the, that is really good for the long form to be there is for, and it helps answer that. And we'll get into the pamphlet um, there later on, the AA group, where it has a, a little better definition for that. Um, and I hope you're all writing down questions you may have or um, rebuttal or whatever you want to throw. That's, that's good. I love it. That's how we get things discussed. Um, in the, in the AA Comes of Age, on page 102, for those of you who have it, um, this, this, this one doesn't, uh, isn't as long as what Bill writes about it in the 12 and 12. But a couple of the things that I like to bring out is in, in the AA Comes of Age, it, it reads Tradition 3, for a long time was a puzzler too. The only requirement for AA men, membership is a desire to stop drinking. And uh, that's one of the things that I didn't realize he'd written, he'd written it in there that long ago. Um, we worried uh, a lot about membership. In fact, we have... You left out the word sincere, Bob. Pardon? You left out the word sincere when you read... Oh, sincere desire. That's Yeah, I thought it sounded strange. A sincere desire to stop drinking. And that, um, that's one of the things that, that changed later on in the short form. And um, I know that there's been several different definitions, and it's caused some turmoil in the fellowship, but as these traditions uh, point out, and if we stick to our history and the traditions, um, it, it'll all, it all works out as long as we stick to what we were given. And uh, as far as I've ever seen, and I have some great Al-Anon friends, and now I have a host of uh, friends in F.A., um, that I, in those fellowships, I see the same thing. These principles apply exactly the same um, in what we do and how we take care of it and what we have to pass on. And I, I believe that is our absolute duty is to pass on what we were giving, given, at least in as good a shape as it was when it was handed to us. And because I know that there's, there's, I've got grandchildren, a couple of them that might qualify here down the road a ways. And I know that there's children and people who haven't even been born yet that are going to be looking for these doors to come into these different fellowships. And hopefully these traditions will help keep those doors open and provide a, a place of refuge and for them to get better and live a decent life. Um, <clears throat> uh, we were worried a lot about membership. In fact, when heavy publicity first came our way, we were scared footless. We said to ourselves, won't all kinds of odd people show up? Complications, you know, alcohol mixed with other things. In those days, we were always talking about the mythical character called the pure alcoholic. No complications, you understand, just a guzzler. We actually thought we were like that ourselves. Hence, when members began pouring in, our worry mounted. Won't there be mighty queer people? Won't there be criminals? Won't there be social undesirables? We, we asked. Mixed with a certain amount of snobbishness and smugness, this was downright fear. We simply did not know what or who would turn up. And I'm not going to read... Um, well, that's so short, I'll just read this whole thing. Since that early time, literally all kinds of people have found their way to Alcoholics Anonymous. Our inclusiveness is now very broad indeed. For example, not too long ago, 
I sat in my office with a member who bears a title of countess. That same night, I went to an AA meeting. It was a winter night, and there was a mild, uh, a mild-looking little gent taking the coats. He was not charging anything either. He was just doing it to be obliging. I said, who's that little guy? And someone answered, oh, he's been around for a long time. Everybody likes him. He used to be one of Al Capone's mob. That's how universal AA is today. But it took us a long time to become really democratic. There used to be so many membership rules among our groups that if they were enforced at once, nobody, actually nobody, could have joined Alcoholics Anonymous. But as our fears subsided, we finally said to ourselves, who are we to keep anybody out? To many, a desperate drunk, AA is the court of his last appeal. How can we slam the door on anybody who stands outside? No, we must never do that. We must always take the risk, no matter who comes in. Maybe our public relations will be damaged because a few strange characters are among us. Of course, our public relations are important, but it is not the real character of this society, is not the real character of this society more important. I'll just throw in right there that um, maybe some of you have seen some folks on TV lately <laughs> talking about that, like Charlie and a few others. And this is not a first. This has happened many times throughout the history of AA. And it has always survived as long as we stick to what we do. And we do not get out into the media and try to defend ourselves publicly. We let our friends do that. Who of us dares to say, no, you can't come in, thereby setting himself up as judge, jury, and perhaps executioner of his brother alcoholic? So the experience through the years, and I'll be still in Tradition 3, says you are a member if you say so. No matter what you have done or still will do, you are a member as long as you say so. And that's the end of 3 in AA Comes of Age. In uh, the 12 and 12, there's so much more because they had uh, so much more experience uh, behind them when Bill wrote this. And Tradition 3 is, is very, was very big in here, and I learned so much uh, through reading this and studying it with other people, especially my sponsor. Um, on page 139 of the 12 and 12, it says, uh, in the first paragraph, I'm not going to read it all. Um, in the first paragraph at the very last sentence, it says, we just want to be sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we had. So you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself. And these are, this is so important that, you know, that a lot of people come to our fellowship, the AA fellowship, I should say, um, because it's well advertised, it's in the paper, it's been, uh, it's all over the news a lot of the time. And a lot of people come there looking for help. And sometimes those people that come there looking for help aren't alcoholics. And I've often heard, ever since I got to this program, that nobody gets here by mistake, and I truly believe that is just what how I have to perceive that. They they don't get there by mistake because they have found some of the odd folks who live differently and who are looked down on by society, and, and uh, they've come there for help. And what we can do there is we can help guide them toward, towards a resource that would give better help to them. Because we, in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, as Bill said, we can't take on this proud assumption that we can fix everything for everybody. That's why our half of our name is alcoholics. And we have to be sure that we don't do this. I know that and some of you may know this too, 
through your experience and what's happened in your communities and around, that we've actually killed people by telling them they can come into AA and we can fix their problem. And we can't. We're not everything to everybody. We're alcoholics, and we have a real common bond because we are alcoholics. And we know that the way the 12 steps are set up in the fellowship of AA, that it helps alcoholics to get to the core of the problem. And I know that several fellowships have also used these same principles, these 12 principles in the steps, to help save many people when they had converted them over to fit, say, Sexaholics Anonymous, say, Al-Anon, say, uh, NA, there's many, many, EA, uh, I, I've seen, I don't, there's close to 200 different fellowships that use these, uh, these steps from tradition. But the thing that, that I, I used to fight that when I was new in AA, but now I see that uh, these, these principles were handed down from a power greater than us to help a lot of people. And uh, for us to try to assume that we can do it all in AA is, could be death for some people. I know right here in, in our town, I know of two people in particular who were killed because they were told, you know, certain things to do instead of uh, getting the help they needed. Um, and I'm sure there'll be some comment on that. Um, to establish this principle of membership, this is on uh, in the 12 and 12, you know, page 139, uh, second paragraph. To establish this principle of membership took years of harrowing experience. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easily breakable as an AA group. Hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. Most of them who did join us were, flick, were like flickering candles in a windstorm. Time after time, their uncertain flames blew out and couldn't be relighted. Our unspoken constant thought was, which of us may be the next? Uh, a member gives us a vivid glance of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had many membership rules. Everybody was scared witless that something or somebody would capsize the boat and dump us all back into the drink. Our foundation office asked that each group asked each group to send in the, its list of protective regulations. The total list was a mile long. If all those rules had been in effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. Couldn't have joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people who we termed pure alcoholics. Except for their guzzling and their unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. So beggars, trams, societal inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics. Any others would surely destroy us. Besides, if we took in all those odd ones, what would decent people say about us? We built a fine mesh fence around AA. <clears throat> now, this part, this next paragraph, I think, is so critical. Says, Maybe this sounds comical now. Maybe you think we old-timers were pretty intolerant. They can tell you there was nothing funny about the situation then. We were grim because we felt our lives and homes were threatened, and that was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say? Well, yes, we were frightened. Naturally, we began to act like most everybody does when afraid. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes, we were intolerant, and I think that's so critical for so many of us to understand today 
was the fear that they felt. I know I read a Christmas letter from, from those people, from Bill and that, and around Christmas time that first year, and they were so scared. They were hanging on to each other, just gathered together in a room, just knowing that they were going to be struck drunk because of that time of year. And uh, I, I can appreciate the fear that they felt because they were just getting started. They did not have the experience that we have now to look back on and the history that we have now to look back on. They were right there in the front. And I can just imagine how terrifying that was, thinking that, boy, this is just going to come apart. We're all going back to where we were, and they were terrified of it. And I have to be honest with you, that would terrify me, too, to think that there was no that it could all just unravel real fast and I could end up where I came from. I don't ever, ever want to go back out where I came from. And it says, uh, how could we then guess that all those fears could provide proof groundless? How could we know that thousands of these sometimes frightening people were to make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers and intimate friends? Then I'm going to skip down... Um, to the second pair, to the first full paragraph on page 141. Why did we leave it to each member to decide himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether he should join us? Why did we dare to say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything? This, this is the essence of, of non-conformity as read in, in the long form of the tradition. No rules of conformity. We have no dress codes. You know, we just really appreciate it when you wear clothes to the meeting. But there's no dress codes. You don't have to be dressed up. You don't have to have all this stuff. In our home group, we're on the tough side of town, and we get people to come in. Sometimes they're intoxicated, and as long as they don't get really disruptive, they're welcome. And sometimes they don't smell so well, but I, for one, can tell you, I know I didn't either. And we we don't have these codes. We don't put this on people. They can dress however they want and come in there. And uh, the, the other great things about this tradition is it, it gives such freedom to to people in AA to come into AA that it, it started knocking down those doors. And I know, for me, that was a great attraction when I finally got in touch with AA and was listening to these people talk about it and how wide open they left it for me. Um, right down at the last paragraph on page 141, it says, uh, On the AA calendar, it was year two. In that time, nothing could be seen but two struggling nameless groups of alcoholics trying to hold their faces up to the light. A newcomer appeared at one of these groups, knocked on the door, and asked to be let in. He talked frankly with that group's oldest member. He soon proved that he was, a, he was a desperate case and that, above all, he wanted to get well. But, he asked, will you let me join your group since I am the victim of another addiction even more stigmatized than alcoholism? You may not want me among you, or will you? There was a dilemma. What should the group do? The oldest members, members summoned two others and in confidence laid his explosive facts in their laps. Said he, well, what about it? If we turn this man away, he'll soon die. If we allow him in, God only knows what trouble he'll brew. What shall the answer be, yes or no? The first, at first, the elders could look only at the objection. 
We deal, they said, with alcoholics only. Shouldn't we sacrifice this one for the sake of the many? So went the discussion while the newcomer's fate hung in the balance. Then one of the three spoke in a very different voice. What we are really afraid of, he said, is our reputation. We are much more afraid of what people might say than the trouble this strange alcoholic might bring. As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me. What would the master do? Not another word was said. What more indeed could be said? I think that is such a fantastic thing that they walk right by that. And I know that many people know what this other fellow's affliction was, um, his other addiction was. But I don't think it's, it's even important. The important part in this is that he suffered from another addiction that was more stigmatized than alcoholism, but they chose to not not even let that make them waver. They said, you come on in. And I think that's one of the great things about our fellowship today and about the other fellowships is we don't we don't hold jury on people. We don't judge them by their past crimes and, and their reputations and everything else. It's whether you're suffering like in AA, that there are still suffering alcoholics, for we want them in there. We want to be of help to them. And I know that the Alanons want to suffer to help the suffering uh, family members and loved ones of the alcoholic. And in SA, it's for the sexaholic. And, and right on down the line, in NA, it's for the people still suffering. But that we reach out and we try to help. And what, whatever else is there, we don't care. We just want to offer them a safe haven to get well, just like we were offered. Here's a really, the next part is really good. Overjoyed, the newcomer plunged into 12-step work. Tirelessly, he laid AA's message before scores of people. Since this was a very early group, those scores have since multiplied themselves into thousands. And this sentence right here is very important. Never did he trouble anyone with his other difficulty. AA had taken its first step in the, the formation of Tradition 3. He never bothered anybody with his other problem again because he knew the way it was all laid out that their focus was on alcoholism, not anything else. And anything that tries to distract that and, and uh, disrupt that, it, um, as one uh, form we have here, it's information on AA. It's a pamphlet we, or a piece of paper we hand out to professionals and to members of groups and treatment centers and everything. There's a doctor there that said there are singleness of purpose and our, our dogged uh, focus on the one thing is what helps the most. And if, if we try to get involved in other things, we're not only going to confuse the one who's being helped, but we're going to confuse those trying to help them. And I think that that's, that's very important. And here, this person was so happy to be sober that never never bothered with that other problem again. And I think that was a, that was a key thing. Um, and then here comes the next part. This is one that really saved me. Not long after the man with the double stigma, this is at the top of page 143, excuse me. Not long after the man with the double stigma, not, not for admission, AA's other group received into its membership a salesman we shall call Ed, a power driver, this one, and brash as any salesman could possibly be. He had at least an idea a minute on how to improve AA. Well, that sounds like me. These ideas he sold to fellow members with the same burning enthusiasm with which he distributed automobile polish. But he had he had one idea that wasn't so saleable. Ed was an atheist. His pet obsession was that AA could get along better without its god without its god nonsense. 
he browbeat everybody, and everybody expected that he'd soon get drunk. For at the time, you see, AA was on the pious side. There was there must be a heavy penalty. It was thought for blasphemy. Distressing enough, yet proceeded to stay sober. At, um, at length, the time came for him to speak in a meeting. We shivered, for he knew what was coming. He paid a fine tribute to the fellowship. He told how his family had been reunited. He extolled the virtue of honesty. He recalled the joys of the 12-step work. And then he lowered the boo. Cried, Ed, I can't stand this God stuff. Like it's like a lot of malarkey for weak, weak folks. This group doesn't need it. I won't have it. To hell with it. A great wave of outrage, resentment. A great wave of outrage, resentment engulfed the meeting, sweeping every member into a single resolve. Out he goes. The elders led Eddie aside and said, "Permit, you can't talk like that around here. You'll have to quit. You'll have to quit it or get out." With great sarcasm, it came back to them. Now, do tell. Is that so? He reached over the bookshelf and picked up his sheets of papers. On top of them lay the forward to the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Then, under preparation, he read aloud, the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. And relentlessly, Ed went on, when you guys wrote that sentence, did you mean it or didn't you? Dismayed, the elders looked at one another, for they knew he had them cold. So Ed stayed. And then, as most of you, I won't keep reading this, but as most of you know, uh, it went on a sales deal, and then he ended up getting tanked again, and uh, nobody reached out to help him. They were going to let him just do it on his own, and uh, he ended up sneaking back into one of the AA members' houses, and, and the next morning, uh, when he came down, he asked them if, uh, if they were uh, doing their uh, meditation. Yeah, I believe that's what the word he said. And um, what I what the most important thing is is that he he found a Bible in a in a hotel and whatever he read in there he never said, but he did have a change. And one of the things that our our fellowship offers, I know, is that you know, like Ebby did with God, he said, just choose God of your own conception. And that's the one thing that has saved so many alcoholics, I know, and so many in other fellowships. Because like myself, when I got got to AA, I hated God from out of my past. The stuff that they tried to teach me that I misunderstood and and uh, really uh, took it for a whole different direction in my head. And what they did was they opened that up and they let me pick my own my own higher power. And and in the twelve and twelve, Bill actually said you could use substitution. Like the AA group, there was a bunch of people there staying sober, and I couldn't, so I used that to get me started. And uh, he got me started into the program, and then the action of the 12 steps started clearing away the path so that there could be a connection between myself and a power greater than myself. And today I choose to call that power God. But the thing of it is, still today, uh, AA allows anybody to come in, no matter you know, what their beliefs. They can they can be atheists, they can be whatever religion, that we're, we're uh, non-denominational, and we, we don't, the Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't make a statement one way or the other. Um, but the basis of the big book, and um, it's in the forward to the first edition, and then uh, we agnostics, where it uses terms such as, that's exactly what this book is about, and to show you precisely how we have recovered. And, and I believe that so intently and the way this these uh, traditions... Yeah. Yes. Somebody else checked in or hung up.
Okay, well, anyway, I know that this is wide open for anybody to come in. And they can come in and do whatever, believe whichever way they want to. And something that I've been witnessing a lot lately is that people come in, but then after a while you get a few and, and people start trying to uh, rearrange um, the the steps of AA and even some of the traditions because of their beliefs. And it's, it's you know, that people can come in is absolute. It's absolute. But the, to start changing AA to fit the other beliefs, I think, is, is the wrong thing. It's, it's saved millions. Of course, this is my opinion, but it, I think it holds true in the tradition that we try to keep this thing just the way it was that allows everybody to come in here and get a hold on it, and then they can go whichever direction they want to with their higher power. Um, the main thing, I'm going to move out of this, uh, the 12 and 12 now, and I'm going to move over into a uh, pamphlet, this uh, pamphlet P16 called The AA Group, Where It All Begins. This is a piece of conference-approved literature. And then the one that I'm looking at, it's on page 11. Steve has informed me that mine's not, the pagination isn't correct on mine. But there's a uh, a chapter in there, I should say, that's called The Group where a service structure begins. And over on the, the second page of that, it has, um, how do you become an AA group member? And it says under that, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Tradition three. Thus, group membership, membership requires no formal application. Just as we are members of AA, if we say so, if, uh, say we are, so are we members of a group if we say we are. Then it goes into the difference between open and, and uh, closed AA meetings. Then here arises a lot of difficulty. I've had the opportunity to carry um, different meetings into many treatment centers and, and jails and psych wards and other places. And this is where a lot of controversy develops. And it's closed meetings, as it's stated in, in our literature, are for AA members only or for those who have a drinking problem and have a desire to stop drinking. That's what's on page 11. And it's, you'll hear all the time that closed meetings are for, for alcoholics only. But so much of the time, what we fail to remember is that when people are first coming through the door, they don't even have an idea what we're talking about. So I believe it's, it's incumbent upon us to, to say a little bit more about it to help them understand those who are just coming in, whether they be the alcoholic or not. We have a tendency to expect them to understand our jargon, the stuff that we understand in here. And we and so they walk in and they don't know, and when we start saying some things, they think they're in the right place or that they, they have every right to stay there, and then they start getting confused, and sometimes they get terribly embarrassed or they're um, we're not loving and tolerant with them. Love and tolerance is trying to help them, trying to help these people find what it is that can best help them. The open meetings, it says, are available to anyone interested in the Alcoholics Anonymous program of recovery from alcoholism. Non-alcoholics may attend open meetings as observers. That's kind of contrary to what some groups say, but that's what each group is entire to. They, they can set it up however they want. Sometimes non-AA members share, and sometimes they don't. Uh, sometimes it's a speaker meeting for everybody to attend. So whether they're open or closed, 
<clears throat> AA group meetings are conducted by AA members who determine the format of their meeting. And that's one of the things that our group does is in a group business meeting, we, we got make sure everybody had all the information that was available at hand so that it was an informed group conscience. And then we made decisions on whether to have open or closed meetings, and those were group conscience decisions. That isn't up to whoever happened to be sitting in the meeting that night. Excuse me, because we've advertised in the paper that we have closed meetings, and we've advertised it on the meeting list. And so when people show up there, they know what to expect, whether they expect an open or closed meeting by what they've been given for information. And that's that's our part. Um, there's another pamphlet that I that's it's really a fantastic one. It's called AA Tradition: How It Developed. And it's written by Bill W. And that's pamphlet P17, and I believe Steve put this on the on the web on how to access all of this stuff on the AA website, so that you can look at these pamphlets and look at the many different things. Uh, regardless of what fellowship you belong to, you don't need a secret code word or a pass to get on there. You can go ahead and download them. And uh, well, some of them you can download, some of them you can't, but most of them you can't. But you can at least read them. And there's a lot of great information in there uh, about the principles that we're talking about. Um, in this one um, that I was talking about here, the AA tradition, how it developed, who is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous is the title of this. It was written in 1946 by Bill W. in the grapevine. But one of the things uh, that I like about it says uh, down in, down farther in the, on the first page, it says, we oldsters could have been excluded for our failure to read the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, number one, they didn't have the book back then. But, you know, it's not like we can force people to read stuff. We can't force them to do anything once they once they say they're an alcoholic and they want to be in there. We can't force them to study the, the, the bookers to, to uh, go through the steps or do any of those things. We can't force them to pray. And matter of fact, we can't force them to even say out loud that they're an alcoholic. I have not read that anywhere in any literature that I have seen, unless it would be a group um, um, uh, edict. And the thing that I that I love best about, and I'll just leave this for you folks to read um, on page twelve. The, well, we're just ways it says. Every older AA shudders when he remembers the names of persons he once condemned, people he confidently predicted would never sober up, persons he was sure ought to be thrown out of AA for the good of the movement. And then just down a little farther it says, that is why we judge the newcomer, that's in big letters, less and less. If alcohol is an uncontrollable problem um, to him and he wishes to do something about it, that is enough for us. And that's where it really all comes together. And, uh, and now uh, I'm done reading. But for me, the most important part that fits in with all of this is love and tolerance. And love and tolerance to me is treating people with love and, and being tolerant of behavior and stuff, but not... Um, or for lack of a better word, enabling them or changing our fellowship or changing our meetings to fit the people coming in. But we deal with it in a loving and tolerant manner. 
And I may have mentioned this on another one, but a couple of examples of how people who did show up at our meetings who uh, really didn't belong there, they weren't alcoholics. And one of them, there was a lady showed up, and uh, she was wanting to be at a meeting to find out what Alcoholics Anonymous was all about because of a loved one that was demonstrating all the manifestations of alcoholism. And one of our group members got up and talked with her, went out in the hallway and found out what it was that she wanted. And so she put her in her car and drove her over to where there was an open meeting and took her to an open meeting. Rather than telling the lady she was not allowed in there or making a big thing in front of everybody else and embarrassing the woman, I thought this was this is a much better way of handling it with love and tolerance. For another one, we had a fellow show up one night, and on his way through the door, as we I was taught to do, and almost all of our group does, somebody comes through the door that we don't know, we go over and shake their hand and introduce ourselves. That's what was taught to me when I came into AA. And I just asked him, is this your time to AA? And he said, no, I've been to AA several times. And sometimes I'll ask them if they're from this town or visiting, you know, and just strike up a conversation. Well, this fellow sat down. He said he'd been to lots of meetings, so I just took him in his words, and we were sitting there. And when they started the meeting, it was about the second. Well, they asked, is anybody new here? And he raised his, anybody here for their first meeting since their last drink? Or And then, is anybody new here? And he raised his hand, and they called on him, thinking that he would just give his name. And he just burst into tears and said, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink at all. I only do drugs. And he was just bawling. He could not talk anymore. So one of our members got up, asked him to come out into the hallway where they could talk. They went out into the hallway, and they stood out there and talked for quite a while. And that member happened to know somebody from N.A. And he called the N.A. fellow, a friend of his, and said, I have somebody here that needs you desperately. And the other fellow came down and picked this guy up and took him over to an N.A. meeting. And I just heard the other day that this fellow was speaking at an N.A. function, and uh, he's been through his steps, and the guy that picked him up um, is his sponsor, and he's doing well now. To me, that's an example of love and tolerance and how we can assist people to get to where they belong. We don't get to diagnose anybody, but some of it's so blatantly obvious where we can guide them to, and we should have information at hand so that we know where to send them or have phone numbers for them to call. I know that in our home group, we have discussed this in our business meetings, and we have phone numbers for all the fellowships we know of that are in our community in case somebody comes there and needs them. We do not put them on the bulletin board or have them openly displayed. We just have AA stuff on display. But if somebody shows up and they need help from someplace else, we know we have the phone numbers available for them so that we can give them to them so they can get some help. Because in that big book, I know there's a portion back there in the 8th step, 8th and ninth step, that says that, yes, we're here to fit our lives to be, uh, to straighten out our lives, but really our main purpose is to fit our lives to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It didn't say just alcoholics, it's the people about us, and we become citizens of the world and we get to help out of here. So I might have ran off onto a tangent there. But uh, with that, um, I'd like to uh, throw it open to anybody who, uh, Steve or Robert or Bob, do you have anything? Well, thank you for that, Bob. Um, That was very instructive. This is Robert. And 
have something that just a kind of a curiosity that I have an interest in. You know, in the uh, and that is at the beginnings of our meetings. You know, we say that uh, like my name is Robert, and I'm a sexaholic. Or, my name is Robert, and I'm an alcoholic. And then, how do you say that in the meeting? Every time we talk. Uh, oh, you know, if I went o- over to somebody's house and, uh, and said, you know, uh, hi, John, you know, and hi, Robert, and come on in one thing or another, uh, I don't think I, every time I wanted to speak, you know, I'd say, uh, my name is Robert. And it was my understanding that, you know, that came out of the Oxford groups. And the Oxford groups, you know, did try to treat all people with all their different afflictions. That, you know, the Oxford groups would get together and they had people that, you know, uh, had problems with whatever character defects were given in grief. And they would go around the room and they would share their name. And, you know, Pete might, might say, you know, my name is Pete. I'm having trouble with uh, anger. And Phyllis might be say, you know, uh, my name is Phyllis and uh, I'm an overeater. And someone else would, uh, and then Bill would, or Bob would raise their hand and say, you know, my name is Bill and I'm an alcoholic. And that's where that came from. And the Oxford Group's three main tenets were confession, restitution, and service. And confession wasn't necessarily going into a, a, a closet and, you know, bless me, Father, I have sinned. But it was leading with their weakness, you know, stating what their character defect was that was giving them grief in their life and causing trouble in their family or workplace or wherever it was. Um, what do you think about that, Bob? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, for me, it's, you know, there's, there's, in AA, like I said earlier, there's, I've never seen where it says you have to say out loud, um, whatever your name is or whatever your problem is. Um, it, it doesn't even say that. That's something that's, uh, in formats for certain groups. But in AA, I've never read where you have to do that. But I know it is a general rule around AA, that people introduce themselves as, as an alcoholic in, in AA, that is. The other fellowships do introduce themselves as, to whatever fellowship there is at that time. And I know in AA, we we got into some periods here where we got into, I'm a, a chemically dependent alcoholic, and I'm an addict uh, alcoholic, and many other things, and sometimes it gets kind of lengthy. But you know, for us, just the fact that you're an alcoholic is fine. And the one thing that we that I've only done is for myself and what I've watched a lot of old timers do is, you know, we introduce ourselves once in a meeting, normally when we're called upon, and uh, that's the last time we actually identify everything. If there's a a time at the end of the meeting and somebody asks a question or or some other gives some other cause for you to speak. Um, I just don't introduce myself again. I, I'm assuming that everybody has memory length enough to make it through an hour. Of course, I'm getting older, so mine's not all that hot. But I think it's entirely up to each group. And, uh, you know, and as Bill said, every group has the right to be wrong. But I know that we don't pressure people. In our, we don't pressure them into saying that. Um, if they choose to, that's fine. Everybody normally doesn't. After just a few meetings, most everybody else does it too, but not um, every time they talk. 
Uh, yeah, hi, this is Lawrence. And, um, yeah, thanks very much, Bob, for for your share. That was really instructive for me and inspiring. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, you touched on something there at the end that uh, I've been thinking about for a long time, and that is, you know, helping people who come in to find the help that they need. <laughs> You know, like the man from uh, N.A. who uh, hadn't um, ever drank. Actually, at one of my very first A.A. meetings, that was the case. And um, uh, I was shocked when when we uh, sent two guys. Two guys came in, actually. And, uh, um, you know, this was overseas. And, they, and you know, we uh, wouldn't allow them uh, to, you know, to stay. Because, you know, we're saying this is a... This is you know, um, a closed uh, meeting of AA. And uh, to be honest, I was pretty shocked. But the guy after the meeting said to me, well, if we let them stay, they'd, they'd never do anything, you know, for themselves. And uh, I mean, anyway, um, as it applies to essay, uh, my question would be, do you think it wouldn't be a bad idea for for us to have you know, the resources for other S-fellowships available for people who come in. For instance, you know, if they don't want to give up some forms that they're acting out. And, um, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to, uh, you know, have this stuff available, to have the information available. Um, in essays, my experience, the people who have been around for a long time really don't get into the differences very much between the S fellowships and what, uh, you know, what resources or what their stand is on sobriety. I was wondering, as a trustee, if you had any uh, thoughts on that. Well, I know number one, this is the, this is the very first thing for me, and and it's you know, for, as an as an individual, I will do everything I can to try to help somebody who showed up at our doors. Be an AA or, or you know, especially for AA, I will you know I try to talk to them when they first come in because they're new, and I kind of try to you know get a feel for who they are and welcome them. And sometimes you find out the information you need before the meeting even starts, and you find out that it isn't AA that they're really need they're looking for. I don't get to diagnose them, but some of them just know that there's a bunch of people hurting. They come here and and they think it'll work for them, and, and but you know we have information available. We've made our group. As a group decision in a group business meeting, made a group conscious decision that we will have whatever information we can gather for our community for the different fellowships that help people for different problems, and and so we have that available, and all of our people are are instructed or know where that is, and we have people in our group that are you know they're more willing to step up and say you know how about if we just step out here and talk and I get some information for you. And trying to help God's children, and that's. But I know that not everybody's going to get helped by Alcoholics Anonymous. In the essay, as a trustee, I know when they when they swore me in, part of that was that I would uphold the traditions of essay, and also um, part of that is the definition of sobriety for essay. And I had opportunity to stand up for that uh, in Irvine just not that long ago, in the um, in one of the booklets that's being. Done, a piece of literature that's being done 
where that uh, that wasn't stated, and I, I thought that was a very critical thing for SA. I know that there's other S fellowships out there, and uh, you know that would be up to each group, uh, each group and each individual to to decide whether they're going to have information on the other ones available to give people if they really want them or whatever. You know, um, right. I know that stating clearly to people what what uh, what they have just walked into, where they're at, and what they've just walked into, I think that's that's really critical. And like I said before, we have to watch because we get in here for a while and our and the jargon is very understandable to us what we're talking about. But for new people coming through the door, it's like Greek, they don't have any idea what we're talking about. And I and I believe that's that goes for uh Al Anon and AA and SA and every other uh fellowship there is. Once we're in there a little while we get so accustomed to it we don't even think about newcomers coming in and what they're hearing. But I, I think it's up to each group to make that decision. And as an individual, I know I was doing it before our group decided to do it because I felt the call to help them. Old-timers had told me about how we could help folks get to the right place. Right. Yeah, good, um, good answer. Thank you. I agree. Thank you for asking. This is Mark in Wilmington. Um, so I had a similar question. Uh, I, I am a member of SA here, and we just recently had uh, two um, lesbians join our group. And um, there's a few of the few of the members who have. I wouldn't say anyone is like really uncomfortable with this, but they are. Uh, sort of looking to me with the question of, um, you know, because of our sobriety definition, is there something that we should do about that? And basically, you know, I have said the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting, you know, and it's important just to have um, them find sponsors, start to work the steps, and maybe the rest of it falls into place. But, you know, there's still further this question um, because they often do... Um, very frankly, uh, in the meetings, um, you know, about some of their behaviors, and that could be, I I don't know, triggering to some, I guess that's their own issue. Um, But it is something that, uh, like I say, a number of uh, people have come to me with, uh, as if I'm going to solve the problem. And I know it's not something that we could necessarily uh, address in a group conscience with those members there without perhaps, you know, them getting uncomfortable. So I'd like to get a little bit of feedback as to um, maybe what I can be telling people and how to address that. Well, thank you. That's a great question. And I have to tell you, honestly, when my friend Steve asked me to put my name in as as a, a Class A trustee for SA, when he had, when he sent me some other literature because of some people I knew that were having problems along that line, and I started reading the literature, especially the white book, when I was reading that in there and I read about the definition of sobriety, I had a problem with that. And, and I was kind of like, uh, kind of like what you're talking about with the, how the group feels towards these people, uh, the, the lesbians. And uh, when I read that book and read it further and did a lot of praying about it, I come to understand that I didn't see anywhere in there where 
people who were lesbian or gay were banned from F.A. And I read one story in there that really caught my eye, and it was about a fellow who was who was uh, who left F.A. because of that definition, and went out and tried to join another fellowship and, and could not stay sober to the definition, and came back and joined F.A. And I think it's somewhat similar to. And now this is just my opinion. Somebody from S.A. is probably going to have to feel this. But to me, it's like AA. We just say, if you're an alcoholic, you're welcome. And to me, from what I read in S.A., in, in the traditions and in the white book, it says that if you're, if you're a sexaholic, you're welcome. And it, it, but it, and then it lays out, here's, here's the definition of sobriety. And if you choose to do this, then, then you're welcome. But it, I haven't even read in there where they kick anybody out who uh, acts out. Or has a uh, a slip, so to speak. You know, um, to me, that fellowship is there to help sexaholics, and they have defined their definition, and that's what the people of SA, the fellowship of SA, holds as their definition. And anybody who wants to come in who is a sexaholic is welcome to. But here's how it is. Here's here's our definition of sobriety. Now I may be wrong on that, but that's what I understand, and I've. I've met some people in there that have, um, just like I do in AA, that have been in and gone out and come back. And, and I've met some people in there are, who are both uh, some some uh, lesbian and some gay. I've I've met both and uh, stellar members. And uh, you know, I I believe that has to be to their choosing if they want to stay sober to come in and accept these things. But for uh, it gets kind of down to the place where we were in AA a long time ago where we started thinking we needed AA police. And I think love and tolerance and maintaining our uh, standards, should I, uh, you know, not so much standards, but traditions, like in AA and Al-Anon and NA and SA, that here's, here's what we are. Here's, here's our definition. And if you, and you're welcome to come in if you can handle these. You know, and it, and even if they can handle them, they still keep coming back. We have tons of people who come into AA and, and have a total different, different definition of sobriety for many years. And, uh, cause if you look up sobriety in the dictionary, it just says not drinking. I don't know if any of you've ever been around an alcoholic who is just not drinking, but I guarantee you, the people that were around me when I just quit drinking and didn't have a, a fellowship or a, a, um, program, they were ready to offer me buy drinks for me just to get me out of their hair. So I think this is a thing that is uh, definitely up to uh, each individual, and I think the, the fellowships just you know standing by their definition, and they allow people to come in and uh, see if they can handle it. And if they can't, then they're definitely free to go elsewhere. That anybody jump in there that thinks I'm condemning somebody to death. This is Steve. Uh, sexaholic? Yeah, I, I just like to kind of uh, uh, echo what, what Bob, what I'm hearing you say. Um, you know, the SA, uh, we, we're looking at the AA literature, and, and I think that's a long standing tradition in SA to look at AA's literature about alcoholism and about the AA fellowship and, and see how it. Uh, you know, uh, see how it applies to us in our lust recovery and in our fellowship with Sexaholics Anonymous. 
And the SA third tradition states the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And uh, I, I just want to I want to bring it up just because it has um, been uh, you know something that's happened somewhat recently, um, but but I think it's been for for our meeting here in Memphis it's been uh, pretty significant. We've added to our meeting format. Um, a reading which um, was approved by the General Delegate Assembly uh, about a year ago, um, and, and it's called Sobriety in SA, and it's really nothing new, but it's just a collection of some statements out of the White Book um, in, into a format, and, and we read it at the beginning of every meeting, and I think it really helps us do exactly what you said, which is to... Um, uh, make it clear up front what our jargon means so that when newcomers come, they understand who we are as a fellowship. And if you don't care, it's just a couple of paragraphs. I'd like to read it. It will be familiar to many of you. May I? Sure. sure. Okay. Sobriety and essay. We have a solution. We don't claim it's for everybody, but for us, it works. If you identify with us and think you may share our problem. We'd like to share our solution with you. In defining sobriety, we do not speak for those outside Sexaholics Anonymous. We can only speak for ourselves. Thus, for the married sexaholic, sexual sobriety means having no form of sex with self or with persons other than the spouse. In essay's sobriety definition, the term spouse refers to one's partner in a marriage between a man and a woman. For the unmarried sexaholic, sexual sobriety means freedom from sex of any kind. And for all of us, single and married alike, sexual sobriety also includes progressive victory over lust. And, and I think this clear statement out of our literature does that very thing, which you said, Bob. It just makes it clear who we are. Um, and, and, you know, this is how we as a fellowship have found sobriety. It's my opinion, and this is my opinion only, but it's my opinion that, that if we um, create a space where we imply directly or indirectly that people seeking different forms of sobriety than the ones stated in this definition should, should, should do so in essay, then we're creating the same sort of problem that you mentioned where, where a drug addict who's seeking uh, you know, recovery in AA um, really uh, ought to, you know, ought to seek a place where there's experience, strength, and hope on recovery from from that addiction or from that approach to, to uh, addiction. And um, you know, so so I, I feel it's been very helpful for our Memphis Fellowship to to read this at the beginning of our meetings and let the individuals decide: do they want to pursue sobriety according to this definition? So those are my thoughts, and I will. Uh, Hush, in case anyone wants to respond or retort. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. I'll just read something real quick out of here. Um, this is out of the AA tradition, how it developed. <clears throat> and I read it once, but I'll, it says, um, that is why we all judge the newcomer less and less. If alcohol is an uncontrollable problem to him and he wishes to do something about it, that is enough for us. If a person rewarded that and just said, if 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 um, 
the sex is an uncontrollable problem. Having sex is an uncontrollable problem to him, and he wishes to do something about it. That's enough for us. And I think that's just what Steve read, that here's what we offer, and you're more than welcome to come in here if, if, if uh, sex addiction is your problem. And I, I can't I can't speak for, for F.A., although I'm a Class 8 trustee, I just get to try to help understand and, and, and stand up for the traditions and all of the things that F.A. has so far set, set forth. But I, I can tell you two things that I know for sure. I have never been a woman, and I have never been a lesbian. And that sounds kind of smart, Alec, but I don't know what it would be like to be <clears throat> in that situation <clears throat> and have this problem of a sex addiction and then to be turned from the doors of where they're offering help if if I'm doing everything that they ask me to do. Um, I think that's the thing that that love and tolerance that was asked for us uh, like us in Alcoholics Anonymous, if they come in and they're an alcoholic and they want to stay sober and they need help with their alcoholism, uh, who am I to tell them, you know, because we have people, we have we have lots of people in AA from different walks of life, from different religions. Uh, we have gay, lesbian, we have everybody in there. And the, our thing is, in the means, we talk about alcoholism and recovery from that. And I think the lover and tolerance that I've been afforded the opportunity to grow and to understand and to feel. Uh, I know that I want everybody that we can possibly help to help and not to confuse those who come to for help and we're not the ones to help them. This is Robert and I foresee a day in the not too distant future that the SA is going to be challenged uh, because of its sobriety definition. I don't know how many states right now recognize same-sex marriages, but when somebody that has a same-sex marriage shows up and we tell them that we don't recognize their marriage, uh, I think that we're going to lose our uh, tax-free designation and probably run into some other legal difficulties as well. It's just an observation. Well, I know that AA gives challenges like that, and I'm sure that that will come in SA, and, and, it, and it does in AA um, <clears throat> with our, the singleness of purpose. And there's a that's why so many fellowships have sprung up to help out. I know that there's many different S, S fellowships, in fact, I, you know, I didn't even need to hear all of them, but I know that in Pennsylvania, when they decided that there needed to be an S program of some kind in all of the prisons there, I was really struck that they didn't try to define a particular S program, which kind of upholds the traditions and doesn't get us affiliated, doesn't get the SA affiliated, but it allows, uh, allows that to happen. I know that in, in our singleness of purpose, and this comes under another tradition that um, I know that Bill wrote a part that says our society therefore will prudently cleave to a single purpose, the carrying of the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Let us resist the proud assumption that since God has enabled us to do well in one area, 
We are destined to be a channel of saving grace for everybody. And I thought that was a tremendous uh, thing that he wrote there. And I do know that if people are suffering from alcoholism when they come to AA, that's our duty is to try to help them. We can't. We don't change our program to fit them, but we try to help them get well so that they can live well within our program if they're alcoholic. And in essay, what I see, and especially from reading that book, and I prayed hard on that because that was one of them that really held me up for a while in making the decision to put my name in for class A trustee was on this very topic. And I finally, because of reading the, the, the white book and the traditions and some of the other literature, I finally I saw that they're not trying to tell anybody um, how to live. They're just saying, here's our program. If, if you can accept this program, you're welcome to come in. You're welcome. And um, so they can come in and, uh, you know, it's living up to the what, what SA defines. And because there's a lot of other fellowships out there. But uh, I do know that that was one of them that I, I had to question for a while myself. And then I got I got past that with the help of a higher power and talking to some people. And um, I know that now, you know, it, it may come under challenge down the line. But for right now, this is the way it is. And uh, I'm not saying bad or good or indifferent, nothing. I'm just saying this is this is what SA defines sobriety as. This is Mark again. Thank you for, for those shares. It's uh, very good to hear. And I think the way that we are handling it then sounds appropriate according to those because basically we are just welcoming them and just encouraging them to work the steps and find sponsors and let the rest happen. And uh, I guess just to tell a really brief story as to, I think, why we're more comfortable doing that is as we were first starting this group here, um, we didn't have a whole lot of, of members. And uh, as a contact person, I got a call from a lady who identified herself as a, um, as a prostitute and a, um, uh, a dancer. And, uh, you know, being somewhat new to the program myself, I was, uh, I guess got a little bit flustered on the phone and and uh, told her that, you know, it, it probably, you know, I'd have to talk to the other uh, to the other people, but it may not be a really good idea to show up uh, until we've um, been able to talk about it. And when I did try to call her back, I was not able to get a hold of her. And, uh, and I talked to my sponsor, who um, rightly pointed out this particular tradition. And, uh, you know, it just realized the mistake at that point that he was a person who, you know, was reaching out and unfortunately was not greeted, um, you know, in a way that allowed her to, uh, you know, fi find a solution. And uh, so that was just a lesson for me. And I think it's helping our group get through this particular um, little bump you know, and making sure that we're we're doing things the right way. So anyway, thanks for sharing. You bet, and that's a that's a great story. These traditions that we're reading, we're going through now, they are the direct result of a whole pile of mistakes that were made. None of them were. None of the traditions came out of just a really good idea that this would be a nice thing to do. 
they were we were always up against the wall from doing something that wasn't good or something that was killing us almost and, and that's where the traditions came from was from a series of mistakes and we learned from those and just like that one that you guys learned on that lady who called paved the way to more understanding of the rest of the group to make sure they're ready to reach out for whoever shows up Isn't Sam in Nashville? Howdy. Howdy. Um, my personal perspective on our sobriety definition, to me, is tied exactly with our first step. I'm powerless over lust, and my life has become unmanageable. But in the back of my copy, it says autonomous. It's a program of recovery for those who want to stop their sexually self-destructive thinking and behavior. I'm a member of Sexhawks Anonymous because I have a desire to stop lusting. And when I do that, I will become sexually sober. My desires, my desires and the actions I take to become free from lust is what makes me sexually sober. I can get technical sobriety with a roll of sex and a book of baseball sticks. But the actual sexual sobriety comes <laughs> from um, stopping lessons, using the steps, using the tools of the program. Um, the tools and overcoming lesson temptation, which is tied directly to the steps in the big book. Um, and so that, to me, is not a barrier clear to anybody who wants to stop this sexually destructive thinking. Their behavior will follow. Um, and but I skip over my favorite paragraph, 12 and 12, on page 141. If I may, how could we know that thousands and sometimes frightening people were to make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers in the sin? Was it credible that AA was to have a divorce rate far away in marriage? Did we then perceive that troublesome people would have become our principal teachers of patience and tolerance? Could any then imagine a society which includes every conceivable kind of character and cut across every barrier, race, creed, politics, and language with ease? Um, my character is that they get awakened around the third tradition, uh, fear and judgment is what they wrote about over and over again. Fear and judgment. Um, that's been my, that strikes the, the path to my entire life. And as I grow and learn to become more patient and tolerant, um, I hope I get to look like this. These fellows in the, in the AA tradition, uh, illustrated pamphlet. They've got a thought, there's no put down in front of this big, hungry tiger. It says, we aren't afraid, a bit afraid you'll harm us, no matter how sick or violent you may be. My food, my home group is just 30 years there in Nashville. We get um, a lot of newcomers coming in. We had one come in a few weeks ago. We had a newcomer's meeting. He started talking about the um, um, Atlanta cult she grew up in. I started preaching from her faith to choice. And she got hold of guy. I said, well, we don't pop like that in here, and we haven't seen a sense. And I wish I had been there for that particular meeting. I've been looking for it again, because my work around this tradition has taught me, because I have to look at the suggestion of my sponsor, specifically on Tradition 3, and I carry on note cards with books in this chapter to remind myself continually when I feel that adrenaline down there in a meeting, and my fear and judgment comes welling up again. God got me here with this person right now with their point of view, their experience, whatever it is, and for no other reason than teach me patience and tolerance. And therefore, 
love my fellow man, love with my fellow man. Um, thanks for having me, sir. You bet. I've uh, I've had the problem with those adrenaline surges too <laughs> on certain times in in AA, and um, I know that restraint of tongue and pen was one of the things that Bill wrote about, and boy, that's been a bugger for me trying to. Uh, you know, stop and say the serenity prayer and take it easy and let my blood pressure go back down and and treat everybody with love and tolerance. The people who are trying to come in and the people who are there right now, and some of us are highly mis- misinformed in, within the program and without, the, you know, outside of the program. And it's just, that's one thing I love about belonging to a home group and having a group, having a business meeting. We have one once a month. And at our business meeting, we don't always make group conscience decisions. We we hold that, we hold group conscience as a sacred thing that when you have a group conscience decision, it, and in the pamphlet, the AA group, it talks about informed group conscience, where everybody's been given all the the material. And we just had a lot of this come down on thing was the purpose of my home group. And it was starting to get into be an argument of uh, opinion. And so we stopped and we said, let's go get all the written information we can on this, and then we'll come back and make it available to everybody so we can read it and study it, and then let's have another group business meeting and discuss this thing when we're all informed as to AA's history and what its traditions are and what its principles are. And it was amazing what the next meeting was like. Everybody was more informed and understood better, and, and it, it went everything went a lot smoother. And I think that's one of the one of the key things is <clears throat> having everybody be informed. <clears throat> but sometimes we have to have a lot of tolerance for those who are already in and and uh, can be very uh, uh, very well. Let's say less than spiritually developed old timers is one <laughs> that I've seen where somebody jumps up and just annihilates somebody who just came in and. and we have the we have the real possibility of killing somebody, and that's not what we are about. Whatever fellowship we're in, try we if they really don't belong where we're at, we try to help them find what will be best for them. Anybody else? Am I still connected? You're still Robert? I'm good. I'd like to thank you once again. Go ahead, Bob. No, I was just I was just wondering if anybody was still there. I wasn't hearing anything, so uh, I'd like to thank you once again for the uh, your experience and wisdom and understanding of the traditions and your willingness to share that with us. It's much appreciated. And uh, unless anybody else have, has anything else, uh, yeah, yeah, I, have little, I have a little announcement. Am I on? Or do I need it? Yep, you are. You're on. Okay. Yeah, um, I, not to jinx anyone, but um, uh, if, if Bob manages to make it to midnight tonight without having a drink, he will be at 29 years of sobriety tomorrow. And, uh, yay! Happy birthday, almost, Bob. And uh, thank you very much for your 
sobriety and I believe you also celebrate your, your 49th belly uh, button birthday tomorrow or something like that. Six, yeah. My what? 49th? <laughs> that's really it's a program of rigorous honesty. I'm not going yeah, to say, aren't you supposed to be working on your lions? Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be 64 to, uh, I'll be 64 tomorrow and 29 years sober. This is a miracle, both of them. Uh, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you, Bob. God bless you, Bob. Well, thank you guys for having thank me on. Here. All, the, all you guys and gals, I really appreciate it. I'm going to sign off. Good night. Good Good luck. Good night. Love you guys. Love you guys. Thank you. Guys and gals. Thank you. Bye. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.